continue on with the service. Um, my name is Mark. I am uh, on staff here, and it's a joy to be able to bring the word to you this morning. So I'll have you open your Bibles to Matthew 4. We're going to continue walking through Matthew. We went through chapter 3 last week, and we're in chapter 4 this week. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I think the page will be up on the screen in a bit here. Let's just read through this passage together, and then I'll pray as we get started this morning. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the glimpses that we get of Jesus' life and ministry. And Lord, I ask that you would help us see power in this story, in this scene that we get of Jesus' life. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity this morning. And just open up our hearts to look at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. This is not the start of a ministry that one would hope for. Last week, chapter 3, we looked at Jesus was baptized by John, comes out of the water, the skies open up, the Spirit descends, and everyone hears a loud voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And now, we get here. And it's not what's expected. We would think at that point, it would say, and filled with the Spirit, he went out and changed the world. But we come to the next verse, and it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Kind of a turn of events after such fanfare in chapter 3. This is probably pretty soon after. All it says is, then Jesus was let up, probably next day, maybe two days. He was led by a spirit into the wilderness. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, no sooner appointed than assailed by the devil. And we, for us, the word tempted has a lot of negative connotations, 
So that line might be confusing for us. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted. But the, the word itself, the actual word, just means testing or proving. So he was led by the Spirit to be proved, to be tested. This was Jesus' proving ground. And it was a vital part of his ministry, a vital start to it. Hebrews 4.15 tells us he's, he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Luke 2.52 says he, he grew up in stature and wisdom, and now it's a time of testing. And he was led up to be tempted by the devil. We're, we're kind of casual in our language. We often will say, oh, you know, Satan's been really hammering me this week. Or, oh, the devil, devil's doing this. And I get, I get the heart behind that, and, and I agree. But when you read this verse, know that it is actually Satan himself. Satan's not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at once. He doesn't know everything. And when I look at my life, I've got to think, you know, I do a pretty good job of messing myself up. Satan doesn't need to bother with me. But this is Satan himself challenging Jesus. So we get to the first temptation, verse 2 and 3. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, obviously. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. It's a simple question, simple challenge, easy to do. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and a brioche roll could have been right there. Could have, he could have ended the debate, right? No doubt, loaf of bread. What, is it a sin for Jesus to turn stones into bread? Not at all. So what's the challenge? Why, why, why is this a temptation? And it's, it's in the subtlety of the question. The question is extremely manipulative. And I, I think it's helpful for us to look at the question because we're tempted in the same way time and time again. Look at the question. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. In the question is, is a doubt. If you are the Son of God. There, there's a doubt. But at the same time, there's an assumption that he is. So if you, if you are the Son of God, which I assume you are, turn these stones into bread. There's a doubt and an assumption that the doubt is false, which creates kind of this egging on, this challenge, an inappropriate challenge. I know who you are, but you've got to prove it to me. That's the challenge. And look at the key to this. 
is in, in chapter 3, verse 17, where we were last week. The final words that God says in chapter 3. The he, again, heavens open up, a loud voice says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And now, 41 days later, Satan is face to face with Jesus saying, Prove it. Prove it. What's Satan banking on? What's, what's his tactic? Satan is hoping that Jesus' identity isn't firm. He's hoping that Jesus might waver and feel the need to prove himself and forget what happened 41 days ago. The temptation is an identity challenge. He's hoping that a declaration from God of who he is is not enough to sustain him. So Satan says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. I mean, don't you know who you are? Come on. It's easy. Just do it. What's Jesus' response? Verse 4. I love this. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Deuteronomy 8.3. What's Jesus say? He's saying, My life flows from what my Father says. doesn't flow from anywhere else. I live on the words that my Father says. We see a pattern of this throughout his ministry, too. People constantly come up to him saying, hey, do this, do this, do this miracle. Hey, if you are the Son of God, do this. And he constantly is saying, God testifies of me. And oftentimes he says, if you don't believe God, you're not going to believe me even if I did do that. Now we had the same challenge. We were faced with a similar test in Genesis chapter 3. Why don't you turn there and we'll look at the first time Satan used this tactic. It's a little different, but the question's very similar. Very similar situation. It worked here, which is why Jesus started with this one with Jesus. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now it's in Jesus, or not Jesus, God said in chapter 2. Here are the words that he said. Listen to this. 
you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Look at what Satan asks. Did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The exact opposite of what, Jesus, of what God said. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Come on. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, come on, don't you know? Try it. Prove it. If this is what God said, prove it. And what happens? They fall for it. They eat the mango or banana or whatever it was. So what's the big deal? Why, why would this have been bad for Jesus to fall for? It's because there would have been a subtle shift in allegiance. 41 days ago, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus says, that's enough for me. I don't need to show anything else. If he would have, if Satan would have approached him and Jesus would have said, okay, there, I proved it. He would have shifted his allegiance to a different authority. When God says, this is who you are, nothing else needs to be proven. To feel the need to prove that to yourself or someone else is a shift of authority to whoever that other person or being is. For Jesus to say, okay, I'll prove it to you, would have been to move Satan into an authority. To need some sort of proof. So at that point, Jesus deflects it. He wins. We, we failed right off the bat. We just fell for it right away. Jesus defeats it. Satan is 0-1. So he moves on. Temptation number 2. Verses 5 and 6. Go back to Matthew 4. So Satan sees that his normal, simple tactics of going for the heart of who we are, our identity, Sinking his knife in at that point, not going to work with Jesus. So i got to think of something else. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Notice 
the difference in description here. It's, it's helpful to read slow. I believe the authors of the Bible used every single word on purpose. And look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city. Interesting comparison to the first verse of chapter 4. The Spirit led him. Quite a contrast. The Spirit leads, prompts. And the devil takes, he forces. There's two different ways of operating. The devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So here's what Satan's thinking. Okay, I can't go at him with identity. He's pretty firm in who he is. And he's using God's word to defend it, to encourage himself. So, what if I use God's word against him? And maybe, because he's so firm in his identity, maybe I can use God's words against him and try to get him to take advantage of his identity. So what does he do? He sets him on pinnacle of temple and says, if you're a son of God, throw yourself off. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's what the Bible says. Try it. Take it. Use your identity. You are the Son of God. Try it. What's Jesus' response here? Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus gives us a really important principle here. He shows us that it's important to not take verses out of context and run with them. And it's important to take the whole counsel of God in how you're thinking through scriptures. You can't just take one out and go with it. Satan used scripture incorrectly, though he quoted it 100% accurately. Although Satan changed his strategy, Jesus kept the same. Satan comes at him from different angles. Jesus uses the same weapon every time. God's word. In this moment, Jesus demonstrates what Paul wrote about him in Philippians 2. Here's what Paul said. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." To give in at this point for Jesus would have violated his whole philosophy and purpose of ministry. He did not come to be served and lord his position over us. 
He came to seek and save the lost and serve us. He was not going to take advantage of his position. So again, he uses the word of God and deflects another blow from Satan. So Satan regathers, rethinks, okay? He's firm in his identity. He knows how he's going to operate. He knows how he's going to live that out. And then Satan thinks, but he also knows where this is headed. Jesus knows his ministry for his whole life will be to serve those in need, will be to love those who are hard to love. And that will lead to betrayal, torture, and murder in the most gruesome way possible. Jesus knows it and Satan knows it. Verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will but fall down and worship me. So Satan thinks, maybe I can offer him a plan B, an easier way. He offers him a way to live out his identity contrary to the path God wants him to. Because he knows the path that Jesus is going is not a pretty one. So if I can get him to pick the easy way, I've got him. Verses 10 and 11, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Again, Jesus deflected. He didn't take the bait. He passed. Now that that last verse, the angels came and were ministering to him, to me was strikingly similar to the promise of the second temptation. Throw yourself off. The angels will come and help you. So I was thinking, he, he got what the temptation was anyway. He just did it God's way, not Satan's way. So then I thought, okay, temptation one is a temptation to eat. He ate eventually. Temptation two, the angels, immediately after this, the angels came and were ministering to him. He got it. Temptation three, you'll get all the kingdoms of the world. Revelation tells us that he will. He will rule every kingdom in the world. He will be king of kings and Lord of lords when he returns. The difference is he's doing it God's way, not Satan's way. 
He does get all three promises. But he does it God's way. So what, what does this mean for us, seeing Jesus go through this at the beginning of his ministry? There are three things that we need to remember when looking at what Jesus did here. The first is we have the same fight. We have the exact same fight. The difference for us is that our temptations most often come from within. James 1.14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Our challenges come from inside. Jesus was external. There was no darkness inside. So it had to come from the outside. Ours, it's all in here, just boiling all the time. Are you sure you want to do it that way? It'd be, ah, it'd be easier if you did it this way. It's not that big a deal. Let's try it. It's more fun. Is that who you who really are? Do you think you should be doing this if you were this type of person? Quiet, just dark voices, constantly asking us these same questions. And it's the same fight, time after time. But here's the good news, which is the second thing we need to remember. We have the same weapon. We have the exact same weapon. Every time Satan came at Jesus, no matter what the tactic, no matter what the attack, he used the same weapon to deflect it, the Word of God. When you're reading your Bible or trying to memorize verses, do you approach it as if what I'm reading might save my life someday? If I get this down, I might win that fight when it comes. And when I say save your life, I mean save your life. It's easy for us to make train wrecks of our faith. All the time, there's stuff coming at us from within and without, telling us that there's an easier way, there's a lot more fun way. As you approach the Bible, when you're reading, do you approach it as if my life might depend on this paragraph, on these three sentences? I might need to use this someday. The words you read, the verses that you pour over, might save your life someday. At that moment, when you're, when you're on the precipice, thinking, should I do it just once? It's not that big a deal, really. They might save your life. And the thing is, they've got to be in here 
in order for them to pop up. In order for that verse to pop into your head at that moment, it's got to be here. It's not just going to magically show up out of nowhere. It's got to be in you. Do you pour over the Word of God day in, day out, arming yourself with that weapon? Day in, day out, sharpening the blade, polishing it. And the third thing, this is the most important, by far the most important. We don't fight to win, we fight because Jesus already won. The victory is already won. It's from a position of victory that we fight, not fighting to attain victory. That's a big difference. Jesus did not prove that he was the Son of God by not turning stones into bread. He didn't turn stones into bread because he was the Son of God. God had already declared who he was. And it was out of that that he fought, not to prove who he was. And it's the, it's the same for us. The victories that Jesus won, starting here, going through all his ministry, and ultimately on the cross, it's the victories that he won there that are the foundation of our fight. And we fight to live out what that victory did. John Piper says it this way, you cannot overcome an unforgiven sin. You can't. You can't beat it. You can only beat, un you can only beat forgiven sins. And it's from the victory that Christ achieved that our sins are forgiven, and we have any ability to fight whatsoever. Every battle that your soul is involved in, every challenge that comes your way in your life, was won 2,000 years ago on the cross. And the fight is to remember what God declared. The fight that we have every day is to remember the words that God said. For Jesus, this was specifically that day when he was baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what he had to cling to. I know who I am and that's enough for me. My life flows from that. For you, it might be a different passage might be a different declaration. Every one of us is different. But the fight is to remember what is already true of you in Christ. That's how you defeat it. That's part of our service every week. That's why we take communion every week. It's a reminder of that gospel. And as we close with a few songs this morning, we have the stations this week. There's one on the back, two up here. Think through those victories 
that Jesus won and then were imparted to you. The victories that in him you have won. That's the point of communion. Remembering what Jesus did and how that impacts our life today and every day as we fight those battles of the soul that always come at us every day. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the reminders of your victories. The scenes that we get of Jesus' life, the glimpses of him holding to you in the exact same way that we can. And Lord, I ask that you would help us remember it day in and day out as we face the things of this world and the voices within us, our, our yearnings, our leanings toward the sinful nature. Lord, I ask that you would remind us of what Jesus did and how we can fight in the same way. We thank you for his example. Amen.